welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Good morning. It is so lovely to be here with you this morning. Now, we have been spending the last few weeks um, going through some of the lesser known books in the Bible. And you know what? I thought it was about time we had a quiz. Okay, we're not going to do any public shaming. You can just keep the tally in your own head. We won't keep scores. I just want you to tell me which of these things, which I'm going to talk, bring up in a minute, are biblical truths and which are not. I don't want you to shout your answers. Just keep it to yourself, okay, um, until I ask you. So here we go. Number one, God is love. Okay, so you're just in your head. Is that biblical or non-biblical? Don't shout out. Hold it. Number two, God will never give you more than you can handle. Number three, money is the root of all evil. Number four, God helps those who help themselves. And number five, five, to thine own self be true. Okay, so which of those was true? Let's hear. Which of those was true? Shout out the ones you felt felt were true. God is love. Yeah. Ah, Yeah. That's right. Only one of those was true. God is, God is love. Only one was a biblical truth. Um, the rest are either misquotes or simply just not biblical. That last one was Shakespeare. Just sounded a little bit like maybe the King James because it was archaic. But, you know, quotations and sayings can get kind of distorted over time. You know, let's take that saying, God will never give you more than you can handle. It's probably, it's probably based on the verses found in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which say, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But you know, temptation is not the same thing as trials and situations. It's a different thing. And we often find ourselves in situations that are too much for us. You know, I was really struck this morning when we were singing Sovereign and talking about you're with us in the fire and the flood. And I was looking around the room. And as a pastor, you're past, you, you have the, the honor of knowing what's going on in people's lives. And let me tell you, there's people in this room who are really, really grieving because they've lost loved ones within the last month. There are people in this room who have relatives who are terminally ill. There's people in this room who are really struggling to deal with quite difficult mental health problems. You know, there's people in this room who struggle every day with pain and are really struggling to, 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 to get that under control. There's people in this room who are facing into really, really difficult situations at work. And, you know, we can't always handle everything that life throws at us because that's where God comes in. 
You know, sometimes we do break down, we do crack up, we do feel like we're not able to cope, but God is bigger and he loves us and he comes into our lives and brings us his strength and his comfort. He brings himself. And you know, this saying is a lie because we use it to comfort people in difficult circumstances and it actually detracts people from pressing into God when they really, really need him. And, and they need his loving intervention. You know, truth takes us towards God and lies draw us away. You know, biblical truths, holding on to truth about God and about Jesus can, if we're not careful, gradually, over time, through circumstances, through influences of, of worldly wisdoms, you know, Facebook and Instagram, well, well-being or spiritual memes, you know, common sayings. These can gradually take us away from the truth of who God is and, and, and what he thinks of us and how we're saved. And, you know, even before the Christians had the Bible as we now know it, you know, even when Christianity was absolutely in its infancy, and when some of the disciples were, were still alive, who'd walked with him, the truth about Jesus in the early churches was starting to be eroded. And this is what we see being addressed by John when he writes to people in the churches around Ephesus in 2 John and 3 John, which we are going to explore a bit today. Now, these letters are tiny. They're tiny. They don't even have chapters. When you turn to them in your Bible, you'll see that 2 John is only 13 verses long and 3 John is only 14. Teeny tiny books, but with some important warnings and advice about our living, uh, about living our Christian lives well. Uh, the main messages in 2 John are living in truth, loving one another, and being on our guard against false teachers. 3 John sees these ideas specifically linked to particular people. Now, as we open the, the letter of 2 John, we can see an emphasis on truth. Just listen to how many times the word truth is used. It says this, the elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. So the letter is to the lady chosen by God and her children. And there's always debate about these things. But many scholars would say that that is referring to the church at Ephesus. There's different people who say different things. But why is John so concerned about them living in the truth? We find that out in verse 7. He says this, he said, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. So there's this teaching going around that Jesus didn't come in a real human body, that he only seemed to have a human body. Now, many scholars, and again, 
there's always debate around these things. People think one thing or another. But many scholars think that John who's writing this letter is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, as well as three letters in Revelation. If that is the case, he walked with Jesus. He lived with him. He saw him preach and walk and eat and get tired and sleep. And any other function that you can think of that of a human body, he was one of his best friends. If anyone knew whether or not Jesus was actually human, then John would know. And you know, the trouble with this deception is that suddenly how Jesus lived his life becomes unattainable. It erodes the truth that Jesus became human in order to restore humanity to God. And that by living as we do and being subject to all the same pressures and temptations that we are, he still managed to live a holy and perfect life without sin in order that he could be the spotless lamb, the flawless sacrifice that would atone for our sin. You know, what value would there be in him being raised from the dead if he were purely divine? and not fully human. It's a dangerous line of thought to go down because he is suddenly separate from us and our human struggles. You know, his experience is not our experience and, and intimacy is lost. This is not the truth about God and what he wants. He wants connection with us. He wants to share our experiences with us, even when we're walking through the valley, even when things are hard. He wants to live alongside us and count us as his friends, just as he did in the Garden of Eden before the fall. And you know, when we start to believe deceptions about God from, from the world, things people say, sometimes experiences we had, have had that we come to the wrong conclusions about, or the enemy whispering in our ears, it erodes our relationship with him. It might be lies that we're believing about who he is. We might start thinking he's harsh or judgmental or mean somehow, or perhaps lies about how he sees us, that we're a waste of space, that we're useless to him, unworthy, not deserving of his time and attention. And it can start with those questions. Does he really love me? Does he really, really need me in his kingdom? Does he really want the best for me? You know, if I just live a good life, isn't that enough? Do I really need to give, to give that part of my life over to Jesus? Perfectly innocent questions that come out of our frailty as human beings. But if we allow these questions to take root, we can start to allow our thinking and then our living to veer off course and drift away from the truth. Jesus said himself that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. If we think that there's another way, another truth, another way of living, then we're deceived. You know, you know that, 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 that I've been doing this, this ESOM course over the, last, over the last year. And when Jackie and James and I were out on outreach the other day, we came across just such a false teacher. 
He was, he was just down the street. He was stopping a lovely, gently spoken lady from handing out copies of the New Testament and Psalms and talking to people about Jesus. So we paused and, and we, we intervened and he turned his attention to us. And he threw Bible verses at us, 10 to the dozen, telling us that if we had not been baptized in a certain way, we weren't actually saved from hell. He confused us and bamboozled us with many words, very little listening, asking questions and then not allowing us time to think and answer. And you know what, even though his many arguments stacked up for him and he was convinced that he was right, it was clear that he was not coming from a place of, of love or humility. You know, 2 John 8 to 9 warns, watch out that you do not lose what we've worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead, does not continue in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. This guy had many half-truths which sounded almost right, but he was running ahead, thinking that he had somehow discovered a truth that most Christians had just missed. And in the end, we had to walk away and decide to no longer entertain his, his teaching. And this is what John tells us to do in verse 10. He says, do not take them into your house or welcome them. It means don't take on board what they're saying. Don't entertain that. And you know, it's a really good job we did because we then came across this beautiful young woman who was crying. And so then, of course, out of compassion, we stopped to see if she was okay. And when she stopped crying and I told her that I was a, a pastor from a local church and I asked her if there's anything I could pray into, she stopped amazed and said, oh, you've been sent by God. <laughs> And when I asked her to explain, she said that she was raised in a, in a Muslim way, in a Muslim background, and that I was the fourth pastor to speak to her in the last few weeks. She said she'd had a really difficult family situation and that she'd prayed about it in Jesus' name and that it had been solved and she clicked her fingers just like that. And I said to her, I asked her if she'd invited Jesus to be Lord of her life. And she said, no, but she'd really like to do that. And there and then she said a prayer and invited him in. You know, if we had stayed listening to that deceiver any longer, trying to argue with him, win him round, we might have missed out on that great privilege of inviting that young lady into the kingdom. Suddenly, it was all abundantly clear the deceiver was all about himself and his arguments. Jesus asked us to follow him, love people, bring them into his care. The clear difference right in front of us between truth and deception, following truth leads us into faithfully loving others. Deception leads us into promoting ourselves and our rights over others. Just gonna say that one more time. Following truth leads us into faithfully loving others. Deception leads us into promoting ourselves and our rights over others. And this is exactly what John goes on to explain in 2 and 3 John. 
Look how he expresses this in in 2 John. He says, it's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a command, a new command, but one that we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. And as you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Now, I know we've said this before. I know you've heard this a few times in the last few weeks. Obedience is God's love language. God is love. We can't love God and not love those around us. John tells us that in his first letter. If you love God, then you love everything that he creates. And the pinnacle of his creation is humanity, guys. So as a follower, a real true follower of Jesus, you can't love mountains and birds and animals and creation and hate people. So so how is that love expressed in, in these two letters? Well, in 3 John, we see examples of those living in truth and love and those who are not. We're introduced to three people Gaius, to whom the letter is written, and then Diotrephes and Demetrius. Again, John says here in verses three and four that it gave him great joy when some believers came to testify about your, that's Gaius's, faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And he goes on to link that with how Gaius demonstrates love. In verses five to eight, he says, dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they're strangers to you. They've told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. So Gaius is expressing love through his faithfulness in serving others, particularly in hospitality for visiting speakers and evangelists, even though they're strangers to him. Love is a choice and an action. I'll say that again. Love is a choice and an action. Opening up our house to, to people is a choice to love people well. It's sharing what we have, shelter, food, family with others, and maybe even with those who are lacking in some of those things. You know, hasn't it restored your faith in the British public to see how people have been opening up their homes to Ukrainian refugees? I know it has for me, just sharing what they've got and sharing their hospitality. Um, I have to thank Thank goodness for that, that we still have that in the UK. You know, sometimes we can get caught up in worrying about how well we love people. I know I do. And this is like a really, really simple, practical way to demonstrate love. Open up your home to people, invite them around, you know, share what you have with them. Love is expressed in serving others. It was how Jesus expressed his love to those around him. Paul expresses it in Philippians 2 like this. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort 
from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. But you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, when I've been serving a lot, when I've been doing quite a lot of listening or entertaining or helping, if I'm honest, I can start to feel like my love is starting to wear a little bit thin. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like, like that, that pressure? You know, the world, the world expresses it as, as needing me time. Which, you know, that's another one of those kind of half-truths. It's half-truth. It's not quite the whole truth. Yes, we all need time to recover and recuperate and restore. But in order to do that, we need to go back to the source of love and restoration, which is Jesus. So the whole truth would be, I need a little bit of me and Jesus time. Because <laughs> he's the source. He's love. He's the one whom, whom we... Who, through whom we love others and serve them. It's through him. It's his love, his pure and vital and unrelenting love that we need. That infinite spring of divine kindness and care. Not the half-baked and temporal worldly love that always requires something back from us. So contemplating on his infinite love for us, even though we don't deserve it, can really genuinely help to restore us back into to loving others once again. You know, if you're feeling a bit thin, go back to the source of love. Spend some time with the one who always loves you absolutely unconditionally. You know, John's third letter contrasts those who are demonstrating living in the truth and love with someone who is clearly not Diotrephes. Again, this comes out in the way he's self-focused. In verses 9 and 10, John says this, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. <laughs> not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. So look at how this false teacher behaves. He puts himself first. He spreads rumor and gossip, talking about others and treating them with disrespect. He doesn't welcome other believers. Here, we assume the ones who Gaius has actually been, been welcoming. But even worse than that, he starts to dictate the behavior of others um, encouraging them to behave how he does and, and putting them out of the church if they don't do what he says. So like that deceiver that we came across on the streets, he's self-focused, dismissive of other believers, lacking in practical expressions of love, and even demanding that other people follow him. Yeah. So John puts that really simply in verse 11. He says, do, dear friend, do not 
imitate what is evil, but what is good. If anyone does what is, anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. So a really simple way to discern a false teacher is this. Are they doing what is good? If we love God, we'll do what he says, which means doing good and loving others. Those who are going their own way rather than God's will demonstrate that in the way they talk about others and treat others. In John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. Everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is the source. He's our source, our inspiration. He's the truth. He's the one whom we follow. Not this leader and that leader, that leader, that leader. Jesus. Jesus. And in order to follow Jesus, we need to cultivate a private life of devotion to him in prayer and contemplation of what the Bible records about him. You know, we need to saturate ourselves in the truth so we can spot the lies. Okay? If you need some help with that, if you're feeling like your devotional life is, is lacking and that you would struggle to spot some, you know, sometimes they're really little little deceptions that can make a big difference to, to like, money is the root of all evil. It's a few words left out here and there, you know. I, I, I was once in a, um, a Hindu religious ceremony well, they said, Jesus is the way to God. Missed out one important word, the only, the only way. Yeah, we need to be saturated in the truth if we're going to spot the lies. You know, um, if you need some help with that, there's a, a booklet at the back. It's called The Big Three. If you watch This Is Us, then The Big Three suddenly means something slightly different, doesn't it? But anyway, The Big Three, um, and this is going to help you to cultivate a private devotional life it's really good at that it gives you really good practical ways of doing that you can just take one for free from the back so as we come to an end let's take some encouragement from john's letters let's persevere in in walking in the truth because jesus is the truth and the reward of his presence and influence over our lives are eternal and they're good john's assurance is, is this grace mercy and peace from god the father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. Let's, let's just pray, shall we? We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.